Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. I'm Andrea Askowitz, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. And I'm Allison Langer. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. And by art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. (laughs) There's no place in the world like writing class. And we want to bring you in. And get this. We are Writing Class Radio International. Not only can you hear Writing Class Radio from anywhere in the world, but now we're recording from all over the world. Well, all over the world, sort of. Miami, and Spain. So if you heard our last episode, you know that I moved to Madrid. So here I am recording from Madrid. And I'm still in Miami dealing with chemo brain, but busting through it. Tay, I feel pretty good. Uh, I'm so proud of us. I'm st- I really am. I'm so proud that we're still getting this thing going and getting it out there. And especially proud of you. I'm proud of you too. Just before we jump into the show, I just want to say thanks to everyone who reached out after our last episode. Ugh, I'm going to get very emotional. Ugh. All your love and support has really, really kept me going. So thank you so much. Um, if you're new and you're just starting out with the show, sorry to bombard you with cancer this and cancer that. Um, Listen to our last episode. It'll give you a little insight into what what's go- is going on for both Andrea and me. Um, episode 73, How to Write When Shit Gets Real. Pretty much laid it out there. So check it out. Our last episode, more than any other episode, really, made me feel like writing is a conversation. And that is how I think of writing. I mean, so many people reacted to our stories and told us their stories. Yeah. Um, you know, I just want to say sometimes we work with um, we work with writers to, you know, get them on the episode and their stories and stuff like that. And then, you know, I don't know. Everyone goes about their lives. We don't really know. We touch base. Yeah, that was great. This is great. But we actually heard back from many of our writers that have aired on our podcast and really told us how much we've touched them. And I was like, oh, my God, we're actually doing something big. And I I really did feel like we don't even know how much we're touching people and without even trying, just doing what we do and doing what we love. And that's what makes this so cool. In class, we discourage people from giving feedback like, oh, my God, that happened to me. Because that really, that kind of feedback really doesn't help the writing. But in the real world, stories make us think of our own lives. And we want to know how our stories resonate with you and make you think of your own life. So if anything that you hear on our podcast inspires you to write your own story or makes you want to tell us how it moved you or how it reminded you of your life, please tell us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. We want to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Writing Class Radio or on Twitter at WRTG Class Radio. Thank you. We really want to hear from you. Today in our show, we're talking about how to think like a writer. 
So a few years ago, I sat down with Danny Shapiro while we were at a writing conference together. I sat in on her class at the Miami Writers Institute, and she is the coolest. She's one of my favorite authors and teachers. She's like, she sort of is like a yogi. You'll hear it. You'll hear her voice. She's so smooth and mellow and beautiful and so smart. And she's just like, I can't say enough great shit about her. I love her so much. I know, I know, I know. I know you love her. And now, so do I, because of this interview, the fact that she sat down with you. I mean, just what a nice person, but also because her recent memoir, she is the author of five memoirs, five and five novels. She's also a podcast host and an essay writer. And you're going to hear one of her essays in this episode, right? Yes. Um, Anyway, Andrea and I both read Danny's new book, Inheritance, and I have given it to a bunch of friends. If you haven't read it, Inheritance run out and buy it immediately. So tell us about Inheritance. Okay, so a few years ago, while Danny was in her 50s, and I'm not giving anything away, I'm just going to tell you what basically what it's about. Here's a woman in her 50s. She spits into one of those spittoons for um, genetics testing, and she finds out that her father is not her biological father. In the book, she makes tracking down her biological father a page-turning thriller. I mean, I... It's crazy. It's so compelling. Yeah. It's so well-written. And we actually put it on our list of favorite books on our website. Yeah. It's really one of the best memoirs I've ever read. Danny's story is so compelling that now there's a podcast called Family Secrets where people actually call in and talk about their own family secrets. And she does interviews with all these interesting people who have family secrets. It's just awesome. And what we're going to do is put a link – to our favorite independent bookstore, Books and Books, where you can buy Inheritance and do it. Buy it now. She's so good. So a few years ago, before Danny made the discovery about her DNA, Toby Ash, a former student, and I sat down with her and we had a, such an awesome conversation that we're going to bring you today. Like, we didn't use it. It was three years ago. It was May 2016. I remember when you got it. And I was like, what are we going to do with this? It's really cool. But what? How? You know? So when I listened to it back then, I thought, wow, this is so interesting and so good. But it felt to me so heavy on, like, geared towards writers. Yeah. And at that point, that was when we were just starting as a podcast. And at that point, I wasn't sure. Are we catering to writers or people who want to come to our podcast to hear stories? stories. Yeah. And now... Listeners come to Writing Class Radio both to hear stories and because they want to learn how to write better. Yeah, but we were also just using students from our class. So we had a class, you know, and now we use both students in our class and we allow people to submit their stories. So So we've evolved enormously as a podcast. And now I think this interview that I did with with Danny is so perfect. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Oh, also stay tuned. So you're going to hear this interview. And then we asked her, because she's not generous enough, we asked her last week to record an essay that she wrote that she refers to in the interview. She mentions it. It's called The Me My Child Mustn't Know. That was published in the New York Times book review. And you're going to hear that after the interview. Here's our conversation. So I'm sitting with um, Toby Ash, one of our students. We're both taking a class with Danny Shapiro. We're at the Writers Institute at Miami-Dade. And thank you for giving us a few minutes. And um, so you told us yesterday that your first three novels were sort of a rehashing of a major big bad event that happened in your life. 
and that you kept coming back to that. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, to begin with, it wasn't that I was writing the same event over and over. It was a little more disguised than that. I, I mean, in my first book, it was a car accident, which was the actual real-life event. It was a car accident that killed my father and injured my mother. In my second book, I had a character who was attacked brutally um, in a hate crime in Central Park. And in my third novel, it was a plane crash that happened to my main character, well, my main character's son um, was an NTSB um, officer investigating a huge um, crash of a jetliner. So you might think all of these things are really different, but what I came to see was that it was a pattern and that each time, psychologically speaking, my main character would be um, shocked, would experience a sudden shock to his or her system, and um, after which nothing would ever be the same. And the novels were all about kind of un unspooling the narrative from there. And at some point, I realized that I was being haunted by that original material. And when I wrote my memoir, Slow Motion, it was with the hope that it would have a curative effect on that repetition in a way. I felt like I wasn't in control of my fiction to the degree that fiction writers ever are in control at all. I wasn't. Um, and it did change my writing life after that. So a real-life event was haunting you as a, as a novelist. Yes. And so tra like a tragic event happened to your characters three times. Yes, yes. And even though each tragic event was different, it was like the same flavor of tragic event. It was a manifestation of the real-life situation. Right. Which I was not, to be clear, conscious of while I was writing those novels. I became, over time, conscious. Right. Fascinating. And I want to know what the experience of writing about that event as a, in memoir mm -hmm. did for you mm -hmm. as a writer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. I, 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 I'll answer that, but to go back a little bit to what, to what we were just talking about, in a way, we could also be describing that as theme, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you read the plays of, you know, say, Eugene O'Neill, and you understand his obsessions through life. Like, it, theme right. is just a fancy literary term for obsession. So it could be said that I was um, writing about what obsessed me, which was that up until the moment of my parents' car accident, I didn't know that something like that could happen. I mean, I knew that it could happen, and I watched television, read the news, and had seen terrible things happen to people. But the idea that um, it could that life could change in an instant like that in, 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 a, in a moment that everything could be different uh, was something that I had never personally had to metabolize. Mm -hmm. So I was metabolizing that in a way, or attempting to, through the writing of those novels. And then when I set out to write slow motion, it was a very different experience because in writing fiction, there is a discovery process that actually has to do with discovering the story. And with writing memoir, you know the story, so the discovery process is not about, well, what happened. What it's really about, can I curse on your podcast? Fuck okay. yeah. Okay, so what it's really about is, like, the, my, my friend Andre the Third, who is a wonderful fiction writer as well as memoirist, um, says it's like the difference between what happened and what the fuck happened? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have to, like, see Andre saying it had, like, full <laughs> impact. But, like, what the fuck? fuck happened. That's the work of memoir. 
in so many ways is to like understand what was underneath that. What um, what were the all the tentacles, um, you know, emanating from that? And so, yeah, it was a very very different process, and one that I did feel in many ways to to the degree that we that we ever stopped being haunted by what haunts us. Mm-hmm. That in terms of my literary life, in terms of my life as a writer, I really was I was finished with that as a story that I needed to tell. Um, and that's so, what fascinates me. So that obsession doesn't come up anymore, you're saying? Or it comes up in a way that is not subconsciously haunting you? Because I feel like writers recycle themes forever. Yeah, and probably in some way or another, that theme continues to uh, play. But it plays in a different key. Okay. It's maybe not the most dominant um, or or perhaps it's morphed in, in certain ways so that I'm more able to use it creatively. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's important to note, too, that in terms of that as a real-life experience, it wasn't um, that I was trying to work through it in my, own, you know, in my own personal psychology by writing a memoir. I had worked through it um, in terms of being able to move on with my life and not walking around as a human being on the planet constantly being haunted by my parents' accident. I, I, had, I, had, I, I had done the work on myself to be able to kind of um, metabolize that as a human being. Um, but as a writer, it's what kept on emerging because um, it was so embedded in both my memory and in my imagination. So can you answer the what the fuck happened I mean, it reminds me of Vivian Gornick, who has that, there's the situation and the story. Yeah. So he, now we're talking about not the situation, which was the car accident, right. but what was the story. Right. Right. And it's such a hard question to answer right. always. Right. Well, which is one of the reasons why memoirists often write multiple memoirs, because there is the, you know, do I, at me in my early 30s, writing about my early 20s, understood or came to understand certain things about, like, the what the fuck happened. But if I were to write slow motion today, it would be a different book. Mm-hmm. And my answer to that question would be a different answer. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually something that can be very liberating to writers because well, I remember when, when my memoir devotion was just coming out and I had been invited to um, appear on the Today Show. And I was in my hotel room in New York and I was appearing on the Today Show the next morning and I was completely a, a mess. I was completely terrified because... Um, the Today Show or those kinds of morning television shows, you have to be able to speak in sound bites. Mm. It's not like long-form radio. It's not like uh-huh. being on Oprah where you can talk and talk and talk and then they'll cut it. You have to be able to, you have a message, you say it, and that's not my forte. I, I prefer to speak in paragraphs or pages and not in, you know, haiku. And, um, or so in tweets. Really, in tweets, exactly. So I was, I was nervous and feeling very much like, why have they invited me on, and I'm a fraud, and who am I, and all that kind of stuff. And I called my dear friend and mentor, in many ways, teacher, uh, Sylvia Borstein, who is a great Buddhist teacher, who I'm just very honored to be friends with. And I called her up, and I was telling her how I felt. And Sylvia paused, and she said, Sweetheart, you've written a book about what you know now. And she is 80 years old. She has some perspective. And it was such a liberating thing and such a great piece of wisdom because I thought, oh, I've written a book about what I know now. That means I'll know more later. 
I'll know more tomorrow. I'll know more in five years, and I can write another book about what I know then. Um, right. And that's, I think, a very, very liberating thing for a writer, both of fiction or of memoir, to feel, is to understand that all we have right now is everything that is within us, and whatever um, perspective or wisdom or emotion that we can summon and direct to the page. That's all we've got. Did it help you um, manage on the Today Show? Yeah, I think it did. That and a good blow dry. And <laughs> <laughs> um, few more questions. If you are you okay? Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, talk about being a memoirist and be. I think of you as the as the um, writer's writer, like the guy's guy. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that's how I, I feel like you're talking to me, mm-hmm. and um, which is awesome because you're talking to our podcast listeners who are writers. Um, but I want to know. How, I want you to talk about being a memoirist and being a mother. Mm. Well, I know we don't have three more hours, but yeah, like how much time do you I have? I know. Um, I am aware that I probably would not have written slow motion after my kid was born. I, I would have been inclined. Slow motion has a lot of very raw, very. Um, complex uh, material in there about sex, about drugs, about booze, about my horrible married sociopathic boyfriend at the time, you know, about my own um, sort of spiral into a pretty dark place. And um, I don't know, first of all, becoming a mother changed me, so I probably wouldn't have been interested in writing that book because my interests were different at that point. But I also think that I would have had a hard time um, allowing myself to. And I think that's a really complicated thing, and I I hear a lot from writers who are starting out and from students of mine about, well, I I don't want my kid to read this, or um, it falls into a pretty big basket of what will people think, um, but the most important part of that basket. Um, I remember looking at my son the day he was born and thinking um, he didn't ask to be born to a mother who's a writer and feeling very protective of him and his privacy in a way that I never felt about anyone else in my life. And I have been protective of him, him and his privacy. At the time, I thought that meant I would never write about him. That has not been the case. I have written about him. There are things that happened to him, and there are things that happened to me as his mother that as a writer I very much wanted to write about. But I had to find a way of writing about them that felt to me, like my litmus test is, I never want him to be 30 years old and turning to me and saying, I wish you hadn't written written that. Mm -hmm. So that's my, the measure of that that I put myself through. And I may turn out to be wrong about some things. I don't think so, but it's possible. But that's that's the way that I think of it. And so in Devotion, I write, for example, about his having been very sick as a baby. And I couldn't have written Devotion without writing about that. It was a really significant part of um, the reason for wanting to write the book. Um, but he had already recovered, and I was writing about being the mother of a very sick baby, and that is my material. And, you know, I'll go back to Andre Debuse, who I don't usually quote this much, but Andre said something really wonderful during a panel I was on with him where someone said to him, he wrote in his memoir, Townie, he wrote about his brother being sexually abused by an older female teacher. And Andre walking down the corridor in their house 
and hearing his brother and the teacher behind the closed door of his brother's bedroom. And Andre said what happened on his side of the door is his story. What happened in the hallway is my story. And I thought it was one of the most profound things I've ever heard about writing memoir. And of course, it doesn't like give the writer the excuse to just write about anything, anytime. Well, it's my story, therefore it's happened to me, therefore I can write about it. But I do think it's a measure of being able to find a way to write about the things that are most important to us that we will be diminished if we don't write about and still be respectful and kind and uh, careful about the people who are part of our stories. I love your answer. Thank you. It's complicated. Yes. It's not, there's not one answer. No, and, it's, and it continues to be complicated. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, something, it's not something a writer sort of checks a box on and then never revisits. It's something that has to be re- revisited over the course of a writing life. Yep. So my last question is, um, and I'm getting both of these questions from the New York Times piece that I read about your question about asking your son, I mean, thinking about him not wanting to come back to you and say, why did you write about that? Um, But this is about thinking like a writer. So you talk a lot about thinking like a writer. What does that mean? Well, it means so many things. Are you talking about the New York Times piece where um, a part of slow motion was on this American Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, so basically, I'm asking you about the glimmer moment, though. That yeah, was a no, weird that, way to no, get to no, it. No, no, that's, that's a, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, there's so many ways in which thinking about a writer, thinking like a writer, I don't know how else to think, because I think that's just what the way that I think is as a writer. But um, what you're referring to is a moment where I had protected my son from hearing this thing on the radio, um, something that I had you know, written many years before that was being rebroadcast on the radio, and I protected him from hearing it that day. And then as I was sitting there listening to it on the radio when he wasn't in the car and listening to him, I was waiting for him at his piano lesson and I was listening to the sounds of him playing piano, uh, drifting through my car window and I was listening to myself as a younger woman reading a passage about myself as an even younger woman as I'm a mother sitting in a car listening to my son play the piano and the thought that I had was, I'm going to write about this one day. And sure enough, I did pretty soon thereafter, and I wrote an essay for the New York Times Book Review, which almost virtually ensured that my son would end up knowing, especially because the New York Times Book Review titled it, The Me My Child Mustn't Know. Right, right. (laughs) And and it took him a little while to actually, you know, to stumble upon it, but of course he was going to stumble upon it. Yet that moment was so dimensional and rich and resonant for me that there was just no way that I wasn't going to write about it. And meanwhile, of course, my son was going to eventually know about and read my memoir, Slow Motion. I wasn't going to be able to protect him from that. So there wasn't really any feeling that I had of, I'm not going to do this because it's not right. Or, um, But it's that moment, D- Joan Didion describes it as the shimmer around the edges of things, where you just know this is something that I need to write about. I never take notes in those moments. It's like I file them away. I just know that's, that's something that is uh, somehow in, in the treasure chest, and I don't know when it will emerge. It feels to me like there's two different kinds of moments, like the ones that hit you that you're thinking, oh, what was that? And you don't know, and then you write about them to figure out what was that. Yes. Right? Like, what the fuck was that about? Yes, yes. That's different, You're, um, and it's a great distinction. There's one that's really about almost an image 
or like a very crystalline clear moment and those are the ones that go into the treasure chest um, and then the ones that have to do with trying to understand something the writing through it the following the line of words in an attempt to understand and make meaning out of it that's not so much the shimmer that's more like the 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 getting inside of the psychology of the um, the emotional truth of the moment, writing into it to find out what it is. Right. So okay, so there those are two distinct moments. I think they're for different, you. and I think for me they are, and I think that they have different qualities. One is really like just this irrefutable, like it just arrives with a sense of it's almost like it's already a painting. Or it's so you're already, right. You already knew what that story was about yes, in a way yes. when you were listening to this American Life and listening to. I your knew son's that life. it was all those layers in time, uh-huh. and that I needed to. I just needed to tell the story. Okay. There wasn't that much discovery in the writing of the essay. It's like it came complete. That never happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> Though the other moments do. Sometimes a moment yeah. happens, and I'm thinking, what? Why did that, what does that mean? I think that's probably very personal. The not, you're not just trying to figure it out as a human, you know, like there's all that stuff. That's what journaling is for, you know. It's, 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 it's that you need to figure it out as a writer, that there's something about the process of, of, of setting pen to paper about this that, that has to do with uh, finding the shape inside of it. And that's different than figuring it out as a human? Because wouldn't you say as... Um, well, uh, perhaps we're reverse engineering this. I mean, maybe right. really writers are people who need to figure things out as humans in that way right. by, by writing. Uh, this is so valuable. Um, honestly, ever since I've heard it, I've been like jazzed to... She's a gift to writers. No, but I, yes, she is. And to me specifically, because this is all about me and I'm the most important person here. Um, okay, let's talk about you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am dying to write a memoir, right? We've been talking about this, but instead I've decided to write a novel because I can't seem to find the end of my story and um, uh, working through my shit, which story do I tell and how do I tell it? And It's just been really complicated. But the more memoirs I read and the more interviews I hear on how people actually construct and get to and all this the more helpful it is to me. So the part I love the most was how our truth changes. Because now, like, my daughter's been dead for 11 years. And I'm like, oh, so I'm not, I I come at it with a different perspective. So my truth then has changed a little to where it is now. But, and I'm sure in 20 years, it's going to be even different. So what I need to do for me is to just write what I know now. Um, And then 20 years from now, I can write what I know then. And so that's that's what I that's what my takeaway from this. Have you been afraid to write your story because you're like, wait, I don't know. How, how does it end? Oh. I keep waiting for the happy ending and I'm kind of realizing that I don't know if life ever gives us that in a like a little bow. Okay. So, so like what Danny said, write the story that you can write now and then in 5 years you'll write another story yeah. about what you know now at that point. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of other good things. Um, I loved the conflict she had with, or I related to the conflict I ha- that she had with being a mother and a writer um, in a couple ways. One, we just don't have that much time. Um, and so where do you put your time? So is it a writer? Is it a mom? Are you, you know, what are you missing out on to give the attention to something else? 
Um, so that's one thing. And also not revealing stuff about other people. So I know that the, my daughter's sensitive to certain issues, my son, and I've written about some things, but then some things I just kind of, ah, I better not, I don't know. I don't know how to write about that stuff. Um, you you love the one about how I, the story I told you about the, the video. Yeah, the picture. Oh, God, Andrea's shaking her head. Yes, <laughs> nodding her head. Yeah, talk about that one. Oh, That's God. the struggle. That's a good struggle. Yeah. Well, I actually wrote an essay about it, about how my daughter saw pictures of me um, in uh, <clears throat> interesting positions with an ex-boyfriend of mine. And I couldn't really see it that well because I had my glasses on. <laughs> and she was like, what is that? And I was like, click, 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 trying to get away from the pictures. And she's like, ah, I can't unsee this. And it was like, ah, you know, do, how do I tell that story from my perspective, you know? But uh, anyway. And the c question is, do you or don't you tell that story? Right. Because that's partly your daughter's story. You know, when people are worried about revealing things about other people in their lives, I think it's most difficult when it's about our children. Yeah. All right. That's enough about us. When we come back, you'll hear Danny read her story. Back after the break. We're back. This is Allison Langer, and up next we have the story Danny Shapiro mentioned in the interview you just heard. And this is, again, the story that was published in the New York Times Book Review in 2013. The essay is called The Me My Child Mustn't Know. On a recent weekend morning, I set out with my son to do errands. As we drove from the post office to the health food store, he began fiddling around with the radio, looking for NPR. I reached over and turned it off. He turned it back on. I turned it off again. He shot me a look, puzzled. After all, he knew I enjoyed the fact that at age 12, he was a fan of public radio. What's the problem, he asked. No problem, I said. I just don't feel like listening. I couldn't tell him that later that afternoon, This American Life would be rebroadcasting an episode with a reading I did years ago from my first memoir, Slow Motion, that I was afraid a promo would come on the air and that suddenly, improbably, horrifyingly, he might hear his mother's voice of more than a decade earlier, telling a story of events in her life that had happened more than a decade before that, a story no parent would want her child to hear. Before I became a mother, I spent many years writing with no thought that someday I might have a child. When I first started the memoir, I hadn't even yet met the man who would become my husband. And so I wrote with abandon, a kind of take no prisoners story about dropping out of college at 20 and in a booze and drug induced haze, becoming involved with it in a destructive affair with a much older married man, the stepfather of my best friend. My life was turned around by a car accident in which my father was killed and my mother badly injured. I was in my early thirties when I wrote Slow Motion and my focus was on trying to capture that painful and chaotic time. I wasn't projecting forward to a lifetime later when as a Connecticut wife and mother in my forties, I'd be driving along with an impressionable and curious pre-teenage son whose access to his mother's not so pretty rebellion would be as close as the push of a button. Everyone has a past, and it's a very personal decision to reveal or not reveal the more unsavory bits to our children. It's possible for most people to smooth out the rough edges of their histories, to edit out indiscretions or sanitize their mistakes. After all, some things are none of our kids' business, right? They don't need to know every single detail about their parents. 
On the day our son was born, a friend with teenagers gave my husband the following piece of advice. If he ever asks you if you did drugs, lie. But for memoirists, the stories we've told of our lives are set in stone. And while certainly some memoirs might whitewash the past and others might omit the unsavory details, the kind of memoir I wanted to write required being hard on myself publicly. I lifted up rocks and peered into darkness. In my attempt to find the Emersonian thread of the universal in my story, I laid myself bare in the most unflattering light. I've often wondered whether I would have written that memoir, one of seven books to my name, but the only one I would bodily throw myself in front of my son to prevent him from reading, if the timing had been different, if the idea for it had taken root in me only after he'd been born. It's a book I'm proud of, and the artist in me would like to think I would have written it no matter what, but the mother in me isn't so sure. I might have stopped myself for fear of what he might think someday. Certainly, it would have been a very different book, bearing the marks of time, maturity, experience. After all, one can't write with abandon if one is worrying about the consequences. And to have children is to always, always worry about the consequences. From the time my son was an infant, I became aware that he hadn't asked for a mother who's a writer. Up until then, the people in my life, parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, boyfriends, friends, had felt like fair game. If I was gonna be hardest on myself, well, they were grown-ups, they could handle it. But if I was gonna write about my son, I was gonna have to be very, very careful. And as any writer will tell you, careful has no place in making art. My atavistic desire to protect my child against myself was at odds with my creative desire to write from an internal landscape that now included him, one which had been forever altered by his birth. Every memoirist makes her own set of rules to write and to live by. And in these 12 years, the strictest rule to which I have adhered has been this. Before I've written anything about my son, I've asked myself whether I could imagine him turning to me someday and saying, I wish you hadn't told that story about me. But of course, the boy I know today has not yet grown into the man he will someday become. Right now, he likes the fact that he sometimes appears in my work. He's read my most recent memoir, Devotion, though in truth, I think he skimmed it for his own name. He thinks it's cool when I mention him in an interview. He would enjoy being written about in this essay, though I have no intention of showing it to him. But he may not always feel this way, and so I can't possibly know. All I can do is try to protect his privacy while not censoring myself to the point of muteness. Certainly, I can imagine him saying, I wish you hadn't told that story about yourself. But as a writer, my inner life is my only instrument. I understand the world only by my attempts to shape my experience on the page. Then and only then do I know what I think, feel, believe. Without these attempts, the word essay derives from attempt, I am lost. Later that day, I drove my son to his piano lesson, and as I sat waiting in the driveway of his teacher's house, I tuned into this American life. I leaned back in the driver's seat and listened 
to my younger self, quietly, forcefully reading her sad, painful story. In the distance, through an open window, the sound of my son playing the opening strains of Fur Elise. It was a strange and powerful moment, one in which I felt my past and present fall one on top of the other to form something like a complete picture. I closed my eyes and choked back tears, and I thought what I always think in such a moment. I'll have to write about this. Yeah, I'm in love. Thank you, Danny Shapiro, for sharing your time and your story with us. Thank you for listening. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Christine Corey. Additional music by Emia and Poddington Bear. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by the Launchpad at the University of Miami. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. Contact us at info at writingclassradio.com. If you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button and check out the writing classes and publishing insights we're giving our Patreon supporters. Every Tuesday from 12 to 1, you can jump onto a writing class with Allison and sometimes Andrea if you join at the $25 level. And you can learn all about the trials and tribulations of publishing if you jump on at the $10 level. And um, Andrea is just posting away at all her successes and some of our failures. <laughs> A new episode will drop the first Wednesday of every month, so look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.